the book of Exodus, the first chapter, but I just want to just want to talk to you tonight. And I want to tell you that it takes courage to have revival. Now, revival is a it's a word that's used a lot. Technically, what it means literally is to revive something, to bring something back. And I think that's why revival is so important in the church because it keeps reviving us. And, but in the sense of the word that we use revival, when we say, man, we're in revival, that doesn't just mean that dead saints are being revived. When we say we want revival, we're not just saying that people who have got cold get warm, and we need that. But when I'm asking God to give us revival, send revival, let there be rain, I realize God doesn't send revival, but we pray those things because revival is not what God sends. Revival is God's response to what we're doing. You can beg God to send revival, and God don't just send revivals to people. But revival is, it is absolutely something that comes to pass because we have responded to the will of God. and We have responded to the word of God. But I want you to know tonight that it takes courage to have revival. Because when you start having revival, you stir up devils. And you stir up people, and you stir up cold-hearted people, and you stir up troubled people, because for some people, they'd rather have trouble than they would revival. It's true. I've been doing this long enough to know there's some people that just, they like to live that way. If they don't live that way, then they lose pity, and if they don't live that way, then they lose sympathy. But I'm going to tell you tonight, I'd rather have a move of God than I would to have somebody's sympathy. I would rather live in a place where I know I have been with the Lord, I've been in the presence of the Lord. It's amazing to me, uh, I've had it happen in my own personal ministry, I've heard stories of it uh, happening to other men that people literally would say in meetings where the Spirit of the Lord was moving and working that. They didn't want to be healed. They didn't want to be delivered. Not yet, because if God healed them, they were going to lose something. I had a man tell me one night if God healed him, he was going to lose his social security. It takes courage to have revival. Now, I know in this day and time that we're living right now, we hear less. I don't know that it's necessarily happening less but I heard a lot more about it when I was a kid growing up in the church the courage that it takes to have revival where women would go to leave their homes and their alcoholic husbands would tell them things like if you go to that church tonight I'm gonna kill you when you get home it's true I mean, it's not a joke. No, it's not. Where men would say, if you keep going to that church, I'm going to kill that preacher. And they'd get up, put the church clothes on. They'd go to the house of the Lord, and when they'd get home, that man would be passed out of sleep. It takes courage to have revival. I've heard stories of those same men coming on to the church to go ahead and kill the preacher. But when they walked in the door, was going to call the preacher out and tell him that God was, that he was sick of all this God stuff in his house and he didn't want none of this shoved in his face that the Spirit of the Lord got to moving on that man and God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost standing in the middle aisle of the church. But if we don't have the courage to take the step of faith, Then that man stays drunk and you stay afraid. Are you following the principle of what I'm saying? It takes courage.
to have revival. It takes courage to have a move of God. It takes people having conversations that are difficult conversations that you know it's way bigger than you. It takes conversations of telling bosses that you know hold your future in their hand that if if I can't get this time off, I'm going to have to find another job. It takes courage to have revival. But the reason why we used to hear more and more stories about this, in my opinion, in the old days, if I could say it like that, is because people had a lot less options. They had to trust in God. It takes courage to have revival. I'm going to say it a bunch tonight. It takes courage to have a breakthrough. Sometimes you have to stand up when the evidence says, no way. And you just have to open up your mouth and declare it. I will be healed. I will have revival. I will be set free. Exodus, the first chapter in the 15th verse, we read of some women who had extreme courage. The Bible said that the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shifra and the other was Puah. And he said, when you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then you shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. 1 and 17 of Exodus. But the midwives feared God. Listen to this. Now, it takes courage to have revival. And they did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives. My knees are shaking now. The king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and why are these boys still alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people. I love this. Saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. It takes courage to have revival. I'm going to preach to you tonight about the courage to have revival. The king told these women, you are to kill every single man child that's born. The Bible said they didn't do it. So the king called them in and said, why? Are these men, children, still alive? Why are you allowing them to live? And they stood up with courage. Everybody shout courage. And they said, because these women are different. There's something different about these women. And they began to bless the women of God. They said, these women are so different. And verse 20 said, therefore, therefore, in this English uh, language refers to the fact that something preceded that. God did this because of what was it that, be, that caused God to have favor on them? What was it that caused the hand of God to rest on them and cause them to wax very mighty? I'll tell you what it was. It was courage. It was courage to stand up in the face of a revival killing system that was doing everything it could to destroy the children of God. And they said, this may be your plan, but there's something different about these people. Therefore, God 
dealt well with them. This is what we would call revival in the church. When God deals well with his people and there is multiplication among his people and the people begin to wax mighty. You know why God did it? Because they feared God and they had courage to stand up against a system that was absolutely the antithesis of the system of God. What gave Shifra and Pua the courage to stand up against Pharaoh? This is another one of those stories that when you read it, you're like, oh, that's so cool. That's so nice of them to do that. But if you remember in the end of Genesis, you're going to find the context of understanding that the king of Egypt owned all of Egypt. He owned all of Egypt. He owned the land and he owned the people. He was absolutely the most powerful man in the world. And powerful people usually get what they want. Woo. Powerful people usually get what they want. Pharaoh was a powerful person. And he wanted the Hebrew population contained. Why did he want the Hebrew population contained? Because he called his cabinet together. And he said, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, and I don't really want the news getting out of this room, but these people are more and mightier than we are. There's some kind of favor on these people that I don't really know what to do with. And if we don't start slowing down this process, they're going to overtake us. Man, I feel the preacher on me on Wednesday night. Do you know why the powers of hell are doing everything they can to fight against the church? Because the church is more and mightier. Hey, I want to tell you something. I'm not worried about what's going to happen to the church in the end time. Because the church is more and mightier. Well, what... what? What are we going to do with the oppression? What are we going to do if they don't quit pushing against us? What are we going to do if my candidate is not the one that gets fixed? I want to tell y'all something tonight. If you'll read in your Bible, it says the more they oppressed them, the more they grew, the more they multiplied. All I'm telling you is that the signs of the times that we've been given in the scripture are not to make us fearful and make us afraid. It's to give us the courage to stand up and fight. It takes courage to have revival, but we shall have revival. We shall have revival. I said we shall have revival. It takes courage. It takes somebody that won't sit down when everybody else is sitting down. Woo! What would these women do? This system was more powerful than they. You ever felt helpless? I mean, what in the world could even give them the courage to try that? You ever felt powerless? I was in some old Hebrew text. Recently reading about these women, years ago I preached, a, I mean it's been years, I couldn't even tell you when it was. I searched for some notes on it today and couldn't even find notes on it, which I know is probably a surprise to some of those that are closest to me that I didn't have notes on a sermon. But I preached a sermon called The Midwives of Revival. This is burning in me. And I got to reading, listening to some Hebrew texts about these two women, Shifra and Pua, the midwives in Egypt and some would say that it's perhaps their nationality that gave them the courage their ethnicity that gave them the courage to stand up against Pharaoh and as a matter of fact at first glance when you read verse 15 it just seems like it gives it away because Pharaoh said to them that they were the Hebrew midwives. 
But Hebrew midwives wouldn't kill their people, right? So maybe it's their ethnicity that gives them that. But the problem is that the text is not clear about their nationality. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of ambiguity in the Hebrew language in this text because it could be read the Hebrew midwives or it could be read the midwives of the Hebrews. So the ambiguity is that they they could be Hebrew women, but they could also be Egyptian women. Besides, if you look at the rest of the chapter, Pharaoh's always trying to use Egyptians to kill Hebrews. He does it in verse 9. He does it again in verse 22. So it's more than likely the same thing if we're setting precedent in verse 15. That he's dealing with women who are Egyptians. He's always using Egyptians to kill the Hebrews. If the midwives then are Egyptian, then we could say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is not their nationality that gives them the courage. They would know all the better. This is our king. We know how powerful he is. We know how dark and sinister he is. We know that there's probably all kinds of bones hidden in the sands of this desert oasis out here in the middle of the we know how corrupted this system is we know how powerful it is so maybe perhaps it wasn't their nationality maybe it was their work ethic and they were so proud that they had gone to school and they had become midwives maybe their midwifery is the reason why they were so brave and courageous maybe because midwives don't take life Midwives give life. You understand what I'm saying? If I kill a baby, there's nobody that's ever going to trust me again. So I got the courage to do this. I'm just going just to stand up. So maybe they stood up against Pharaoh to keep their jobs. But I want to tell you all something you need to understand about this. If they don't kill the babies, they won't need their jobs. If they don't Take the pressure. Lord, I'm preaching in between lines right here. If they don't collapse to the pressure of the world, they're not going to need their babies because of the spirit or their jobs because the spirit of fear says, if I don't bow to him, it don't matter what license I've got. It don't matter what my calling is. Not only will I not need a job, I'm not going to need a license because I'm not going to be alive. And the spirit of fear would get upon them. So I want to tell you that the midwives are not standing up against Pharaoh to protect themselves. Their courage does not come from their nationality. And it does not come from their midwifery. So where in the world could all of this courage come from? Where in the world? These two little old, he, these two little midwife women get the courage to stand up in the face of a world system and say, "We will not bow." But if you keep reading, you're going to find the answer in verse 17, because your Bible says this. But the midwives feared God. And did not as the king of Egypt commanded them. Where would you get courage like that? The midwives feared God. There was something in them that was greater than their fear of a system. They had respect and revered an almighty God that they knew was more powerful and more capable and more able. courage of the midwives did not come from their nationality it did not come from their vocation it came from the fear of the Lord I'm going to tell you what I believe when I make the statement tonight that we need courage to have revival 
I want to tell you what I believe this sincerely means in this day and time that we're living in. I believe that we need a fresh baptism of the fear of the Lord. I'm not saying this tonight to sound negative at all. But I want to tell you that the modern church doesn't fear the Lord like we used to. Well, you know, I have to like it, but I'm going to tell you it's a fact. When I was a kid, all of the things that surrounded God, the things that surrounded the kingdom of God, there was a fear about it. And I understand in context we got to be very careful because we've been labeled as fear mongers. And you people preach fear so that people give their lives. But I'm going to tell you, I understand fear means honor, respect, revering God. I get that. But, but there was a fear in me when I was a kid. Did I see you running around the church? Was that you that left the sink running in the bathroom? Come on, somebody. Was that you that put soap all over the bathroom floor in there? And in case you're wondering, yes, this happened in my life. My daddy was preaching revival in Ohio and I walked out and left the sink running back. I don't know what I thought I was going to do. It had a drain. It was draining. No big deal. I guess I thought that guy wasn't going to pay my dad enough money, so I was going to charge up their water bill. <laughs> I walked out, and there was a woman in their church that was a missionary. Dorothy was her name. She looked at me, and she said, did you, did you leave that water running in there? I said, yes, ma'am. So she went and told the pastor. The pastor went and told my mom and dad. You want to know what happened? They took me to the trailer and wore my backside of my britches out. You know why? Because, boy, that's the house of the Lord. This is kingdom work. You're not going to disrespect the things of God. You're not going to disrespect the man of God. You're not going to disrespect the house of God. You're not going to stick your gum on the bottom of the pew. And if you stick your gum on the bottom of the pew, we're going to give you a rag. And we're going to make you get under there for an hour. And you're going to pick off every piece of gum that's under the pew. Well, we ought not make our kids. Listen, I'm telling you, we need a baptism of the fear of the Lord. I know what I'm risking right now, and I know there's probably going to be some smart aleck that watches what I'm preaching and have something to say, but I'm telling you, we need to get a fear of the Lord back in this generation. We've got to get something in us that is greater, hear me tonight, that is greater than the fear of disappointing our pastor. I don't do that because I don't want to disappoint my pastor. I'm thankful that you love me, and I pray to God that I'll always keep that trust. But I'm telling you, your fear of the Lord had better be greater than your fear of disappointing somebody in your life. The reason why I live the way I live is I do not want to miss God. I can tell you stories. When I was a kid, I, I know it's going to be hard for some, some of these soft generation to understand this kind of thing. But there really was a time when our parents, if somebody told them we were wrong, our parents actually agreed. Who do you think you are bossing my kids? I don't know, and I'm not saying they were always right. But my parents left zero room for ambiguity in that. If it was somebody in authority. Do you know why you got pulled over, son? Not because you look like a punk teenager. You got pulled over because you were speeding. It ain't the cop's fault that you were speeding. It's your fault. Come on now. I don't think he'll watch this. I hope you don't. My uncle Max Bingham, he had a 
he had an addiction to driving fast. And he knew if he got caught, he got caught. You know, he had, he had a couple of pennies that he was able to pay it, and it wasn't no big deal. But when my great-grandmother was in Dyersburg, Tennessee, in the nursing home, him and Brother Bing and my granddad, they would, if we were going anywhere in that direction towards Memphis or whatever, then they'd always try to stop and see grandmother. Well, one day, Uncle was on his way to Tennessee, and this trooper, I guess it was, pulled him over. He said, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? He said, yes, sir, I do. He said, sir, do you know how fast you were going? He said, yes, I do. He said, sir, why were you going that fast? He said, because that's all it'd do. <laughs> There's this famous deal online now. I don't know if you guys have seen it. drives me nuts. People turn on their phones get into it with police officers just so they can post it online and prove that they're right? Uh, it's not. But I'm going to tell you this. If people had a fear of the Lord, Amen. that spirit wouldn't be present. Amen. I don't have the time to preach this whole concept, but you can, you can understand picture by picture and point by point, this is how it works. What was it that caused Nineveh to repent and turn? Well, it's because God dealt, God dealt with that old sorry, sap-sucking preacher that didn't want to hear the word of God. No, the preacher didn't want to go because he knew if he preached what God said, the people were going to repent, and he didn't like the people. So he got off the boat, and he said, your sins come up before the Lord, and if you don't fix it, God's going to strike you down. What was it that caused him to repent? It was fear of the Lord. It's what worked in the book of Acts. This Jesus whom you crucified. God has raised him up and made him both Lord and Christ. They were pricked in their hearts. What's that mean? The fear of the Lord came on them. It used to be when preachers would preach against hell that backsliders and cold people and sinners would sit in the church and they'd hold on to a, a Bible or they'd hold on to the back of the pew or whatever was the closest thing. We called it white knuckle preaching. God, they'd preach hell so hot, you'd feel your toenails start melting. They could preach it. They could preach hell. And it'd make young people who'd been doing dumb stuff repent. This generation don't know nothing about them good old barrel burning services. That was real. Them, them old bishops, son, they'd light off them 55-gallon drum barrels. And there was Led Zeppelin records going in there. Even some good old Christian rock. My God, we had Petra going in there. <laughs> I've been in them services after church. They do it after church. You know, like that. We're going to have a barrel burning. And I've watched people throw stuff in that fire, and the fire would change colors and weird stuff come out. And it, you know what that was? That was them demons in them records. But people didn't make fun of it because they feared the Lord. You know what's going to give us courage to have revival in the end time? It's not going to be fearing governments. It's not going to be fearing nations. It's not going to be fearing wars and rumors of war. The Bible said that men's heart would fail them for fear. But I'm going to tell you what's going to give us the courage to have revival is when we get baptized with the fear from the Lord. The reason why the midwives were able to stand up against the Egyptians and against the spirit of Egypt and against the king of Egypt and reject the lie of death and reject all of the fear that they were putting on them. They feared the Lord. They feared what God could do. I will not fear what man can do to me. The whole narrative of the book of Exodus is about fearing God. I'm going to hurry tonight. At each stage of the Exodus, it's amazing that more people catch on to it. At the burning bush, it's just Moses. 
as the plagues come, the Hebrew people begin to fear God. And then after the Passover, Pharaoh finally fears God enough to let the people go. The book of Exodus, it has these huge crescendo type demonstrations of power and God's authority that echo through the pages of the book. But you know where it all started? It started with two women. It started with two midwives. Oh, God have mercy. I've come to preach something to this church on Wednesday night. You may be waiting on the majority to have revival. But before the fear of the Lord comes on millions, it's got to come on two or three. Wherever there's two or three in my presence, I'm going to be right in the middle of them. I want to tell you tonight, we don't need a majority to have revival. We need two or three that'll say, I'm so hungry for God. I'll do whatever I've got to do. It's never taken the majority to have revival. It takes a couple of people that will fear the Lord. Well, you know, Pastor, it's just because these women were super courageous. Listen, don't get this backwards. These women did not fear the Lord because they were courageous. They were courageous. Come on, help me. Because they feared the Lord. The fear of the Lord is often found among the powerless. I want you to imagine how powerless these two women felt. They were not in the elite upper crust of society in Egypt. They were not the most important people in society. As a matter of fact, if you look at it historically, they were commanded all the time to go and do That's why that uh, Pharaoh looked at them and said, go kill them Hebrew boys every time. They were almost at servant status. If they were not slaves, they were at that kind of status in society. In other words, these were not kind of people that had the ear of Pharaoh that could easily manipulate something and walk in and say, hey, I, I've been thinking about this and I think that's just a little bit too heavy. I pray to God that we have favor in our society. I really do. I mean this sincerely. I pray to God that we have favor with I thank the Lord for the people that are still respected and being, being connected in the church world. I thank the Lord for that. I pray that God continues to elevate us and, and take us into places that uh, there's respect and praying in the state house and praying in the Congress and praying uh, in the Senate and praying in the White House. That's all good and great. But I want to tell you something tonight. God needs people in societies that have no power with kings. They're not using power. They're not manipulating power. They're fearing God. God's all they've got. We need the kind of revival that if we've got the government on our side, thank the Lord. But if the government's not on our side, we're still going to have revival. <laughs> you studied Christianity this is the story from the beginning it was, it was the disenfranchised the people that were cut off the people that they were upset about I mean goodness gracious the Christians were struggling because they weren't just hated by the Romans they were hated by the Judaizers I mean they were hated by the church people if I could say it like the church world the, the denominal world they were hated by them and because everything was stacked against them, these people just sat down in the corner of a room, sucked their thumb, and said, well, I guess we'll just wait here until God moves. I don't know. They went to the upper room, just laid in there and said, I'm afraid. Are you afraid? Yeah, boy, I'm afraid. I don't know what we're going to do. You believe that? There ain't a snowball's chance in Satan's neighborhood. That's the truth. Do you know why they were waiting in the upper room? Because Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8, go to Jerusalem and tarry there. Don't you leave until you be endued with power 
from on high. <coughs> you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you. I love to read that. I'm all about it. But Jesus told that to the best we can tell approximately 500 people. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, there were 120, about. So that's about 380 that fell off the bandwagon. There was 120 that feared God. And 380 that thought it'd be cool if he did what he said. But can you imagine what God can do with people that'll just say, I don't care what the rest of the crowd does. I'm so hungry for this and I fear God so much. If I've got the favor of men, thank God for it. But if I don't have the favor, I'm going to go wait on God until I'm endued with power. It takes courage to have revival. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that rich and privileged people can't know God. I've heard so many people say that. That's, that's foolish. Well, Jesus taught that. If a rich man be harder for a, man, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. I think you took it out of context, folks. I think what Jesus is really, really saying is if you've got everything you think you need. He said it in, uh, the exact same thing another way. He said the whole don't need a physician. I came to the sick. And it don't matter how rich or how poor you are. You, you can be wealthy and realize you need God. You can be poor and realize you need God. But, 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 but the, problem, the problem in this society is that we've got enough options. Lord, I'm fixing to preach my face off right here. We've got enough options that if God don't come through, we've always got a plan B. Woo! can't remember who it was. I was talking about it. I think it was here recently. May not have been, may have been at a conference I was at. I don't remember. Somebody was talking about it recently I, on, on my earfall. I, I remember hearing it. About the saints of old. I think it was you, Brother Shaw, Sunday morning, talking about sitting down at the table and praying over food that wasn't there. It was you, wasn't it? You know why we don't hear testimonies like that anymore? Because if God don't provide, we'll just go to the food pantry. There's always options. We'll just call 1-800-GIVE-ME-A-FREE-MEAL. Come on now. And you, you better tell the Lord when you get that meal, thanks for that one too. Come on. And I, I want to make something crystal clear. It may be the government that's giving those meals away, but it's God that provided that. How can you say that? Because when bankrupt governments go away and fall into the sea, when heaven and earth pass away, you can always stand on this. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. about a system of people that fear God that will walk into a wilderness not knowing where their food's going to come from but they know tomorrow morning when I wake up there's going to be manna laying on the ground because I've got the courage to have revival it takes courage <laughs> Courage comes from knowledge of who he is. The knowledge of who I am. These stories don't matter to people as much anymore because we've always got it there. When I was a boy, I heard my mom and dad tell the story. This is, so, this is nostalgic to somebody that's from, Indiana, from Anderson, Indiana. But when my parents were kids, young marrieds, Sunday night, Taco Tico was the place to be. I used to go to, was it One Accord and Muncie? 
Yeah, boy, that was good too. If you never had a Taco Tico Cholito, I'm really not sure you can even make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb, just being honest. The Taco Tico was bomb.com. And that's where everybody went after church. They loved Taco Tico until Shoney's came along and Bishop Bing wouldn't let us do nothing else but Shoney's on Sunday night. And so my, my dad was standing in church. He had 10, a $10 bill in his pocket. It don't mean nothing to y'all because you can't, you can't buy soda for $10 now. But my dad had $10 in his pocket and that was enough for him and my mom to have taco and a Coke after church. An offering plate came around. The Lord said, put that $10 in. He's like, there goes my taco. <laughs> Guess we'll be going home eating air soup. Church was over. Somebody walked up and shook my dad's hand. Put a bill in it. Went to Taco Tico and ate. Oh, I know. It's just 10 bucks. To you. But it takes courage to sow seed. Come on, somebody. You, you, it takes courage to sow seed. The prophet that prophesied there would be no rain for three years is standing. In the end of the three-year period where there's been no rain. Somebody say it was a drought. And he looked at his servants and said, go dig a ditch and go gather up water and fill the ditch up with water and pour it over the sacrifice. I don't think we understand when we read that that they needed water. They didn't go to a creek to get that water. I believe that water was probably, in my opinion, I'm not making a doctrine out of this, but I believe that water was probably from the personal reserves of some of those servants. They knew where there were caches of water hidden because in a dry season they had put something away. And the prophet, they knew it had been three years since it had rained, but the prophet said, go get me something that's the most valuable commodity there is. They looked at each other and said, well, I guess we know what we got to do because it takes courage. God, I've, I've come on Wednesday night to tell somebody, if we're going to have a breakthrough, God may start requiring some things of us that we think we need. And it's going to take courage to have revival. He said, go get water and pour it over the sacrifice. They did, they did. He said, now come back and fill this whole ditch up. So they brought and they filled the ditch up. And then the fire of the Lord fell. And when the fire of the Lord fell, it consumed the sacrifice, the altar, the water that was surrounding it. So to them, they're like, there's no recycling that. I can't take that purified bullet, make it what I need to. When I, when I gave it to him, I gave it to him. Oh, Lord. When I released what God wanted, I released what God wanted. Because it takes courage for fire to fall. It takes courage for revival. And when that fire came down, it wasn't, it wasn't too much longer after that, that old prophet said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. They put on that sacrifice and in that ditch what they didn't have enough of. And the next word from heaven was I'm going to send in abundance what you didn't have enough of to start. God have mercy. It takes courage to have revival. It takes courage to have revival. But I'm looking at a generation that fears the Lord. I'd rather give it to God and let it be consumed with fire than I would to stand back and say, no, that belongs to me. It takes courage to stand up in the face of adversity and say, I fear the Lord and I trust the Lord. I fear the Lord and I trust the Lord. The knowledge of God comes from our recognition 
of his need in our lives. These two precious women found themselves in the presence of Pharaoh. They were empty. They were powerless. You ever been there? You ever found yourself up against the battle of your life and you just stand there saying, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Come on, let's be real tonight. I'm talking about there are no answers. There's no directions. You do realize when these women walked in that day, more than likely in their minds, I wasn't there, but I'm just saying more than likely in their minds, they were walking into Pharaoh's presence knowing we're probably going to be beheaded. Here they are, powerless, or so it seems. But as they walked in, they said, there's just something different about these women. And something got on us that said, you just can't kill their babies. You know what they were doing? They were opening doors of access to the wilderness generation that was going to carry the weight of the kingdom of God in the wilderness. They were, oh God, they were, they were giving access to the seed of wilderness revival that would establish the kingdom of God in the earth. You never know what you're giving access to God to when you refuse to let fear and doubt and confusion stare you in the face and say if you don't do this we're going to kill you there's something so amazing so powerful uh, about standing in the face of darkness and saying if God be for me who can be against me now for some of you I'm, I'm hurrying this may set you on fire tonight make you feel so encouraged for some of you that are sitting here tonight you may find this whole courage thing that I'm talking to you about not encouraging at all because you've experienced complete powerlessness in the face of evil and courage didn't show up when you needed you feared the Lord but you couldn't stop it you couldn't stand up for the oppressed. You couldn't stand up for yourself. Let me just help you tonight. I want us to see what we can do with courage. Y'all doing good? I'm almost done. The fear of the Lord produces courage. But it's not courage to do foolish stunts. It's not the kind of courage that says, I'll show you. It's not the kind of courage that says, watch me. It's the kind of courage that stands up and says, I may not be able to do it. Because it's not by might. <laughs> Nor by power. But it is by the Spirit. Woo! By the Spirit of the living God. It wasn't the courage to punch Pharaoh in the face, although that probably would have felt good for a minute. It wasn't the courage to stand him up and curse him out and tell him how stupid he was. It wasn't the courage to walk in there and say, I'll show you, you big green dummy. It was the courage, the very opposite. It was the fear of the Lord that produced the courage that says, I will be the cycle breaker in my generation. That it don't matter what my family did before me. It don't matter if my mama bowed down to Pharaoh. I fear the Lord. It's the kind of fear of God that produces the courage to stand up and break the cycle of violence and sin and heartbreak and say if God is going to use somebody he might as well use me because my generation has the courage to have revival the women in Exodus are lifesavers 
It begins with Shifra and Pua, but it continues, ladies and gentlemen, with Jochebed, Miriam, Pharaoh's daughter, Zipporah. Even in the patriarchal context of what I'm preaching to you, the book of Exodus names six women that put their lives at risk to save the life of Moses. Think about that. Six women to save the life of Moses. And except for Pharaoh's daughter, all of them had a very high probability of failure. But failure wasn't on their mind. The fear of the Lord was. And the fear of the Lord gave them the courage to stand up and say, even if this is not popular with what the rest of the world will do, I'm going to hide this baby. I'm going to save this child. Come on. I'm going to dance when nobody else is dancing. I'm going to sing the songs of Zion, even in a strange land. As I close, I want to tell you that in verse 18, when Pharaoh summons them back into court, Shifra and Pua have no guarantee that he's not going to kill them, destroy them, and find another way of killing babies. But that wasn't the point. The point was not whether or not they would succeed. Are you hearing what I'm telling you tonight? Because to fear God, I want you to hear me as I close tonight. To fear God is to trust God. That even if he doesn't come through, I will not change my mind. Even if. When you trust the Lord. You don't think about what could happen in the system. I'm talking about people that the system was against them. But their faith was not in the system. Their faith was in God. On this Wednesday night, I just came to challenge you precious people in the Holy Ghost to tell you. That I believe in this church. And I believe in the men and women that are sitting in this church. And there may be people in this room tonight that somebody voted you least likely to succeed in life. You may be sitting here tonight and your mom, your dad, your whoever spoke evil over you and said you're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. It's okay. You don't set my destiny. You don't control my future. And furthermore, you don't control my past. I'm tired of giving you free rent in my mind. I fear the Lord. I trust the Lord. It don't matter if I succeed, if I ever make it in the big lights, if my picture's ever on a billboard, if I'm ever the one in the end of the story that's the hero. There were some that died in the faith, not having possessed the promise, but when they died, they were still in the faith. Somebody here tonight is going to leave this place with the courage to have revival. It may not feel like revival. And it may not look like revival. It may not feel like a breakthrough. And it may not look like a breakthrough. But God's about to give you the courage to believe that if it don't happen today, it'll happen tomorrow. And if it don't happen tomorrow, God is still able Let's stand together tonight. Some things in life that I'm never going to have answers to, brothers and sisters. But you can rest assured one thing. There will always be an answer in my mind when doubt and confusion come my way. And that answer will always be, God is able. God is able. God is able. I leaned over to my wife during class on Sunday morning. And I had all intentions of looking it up in my office after church. It slipped my mind. But I believe it was Philip, if I'm not mistaken. You may remember, Brother Stephen, that they were crucifying him, martyring him at his death. 
And it took a few days for it to happen. If I remember, it was like 72 hours that they left him hanging on the cross. And the historical record was that he literally preached until he stopped breathing. Dying like Jesus, hanging on a cross. And they said in the historical account, with every person that would walk by when they would catch his gaze, he would start preaching Jesus. And he would preach Jesus till they walked past. And when he took his last breath, he was preaching Jesus. I don't want to just honor him with my last one. I want to honor him with my next one. It takes courage to have revival. I hope this little old Wednesday night Bible studies helps somebody tonight to realize you've got everything you need to make it. You've got everything you need to have revival. We've just got to have the courage to stand up and say, Brother Anthony, you've got everything you need, sir. Sister Donna, you're a champion for the Lord. God, God's going to give us revival. He's going to give us breakthrough. Sister Darla, we're going to see the things you heard prophesied as a young girl. Sister Jenny, we're not giving up tonight. We got family in Arizona that God can deal with right now. We got the courage that he can work anywhere, at any time, at any moment. It takes courage to have revival, but we got courage tonight. If you want to please the Lord, I'm just going to ask you to your hands tonight Jesus I feel something so special here tonight maybe your back's against the wall tonight precious child of God maybe you're facing circumstances right now while I'm preaching to you that you know when you leave this church building tonight you're going to have to go face some of those things at home Maybe tomorrow's going to be a big day for somebody. But I've just come to tell you, it takes courage, but you've got the courage. You'll fear the Lord. Trust the Lord. He can do it. Hallelujah. Lord, we're standing here. Only because you've made a way. You made a I close tonight finally I want to tell you about the account of one named Stephen in the book of Acts what a powerful man we realize if it wasn't for Stephen Paul would have never become Paul right technically we realize that he would have never been the Paul that we know because he was standing there holding the garments the ones that were killing Stephen but what was it about Stephen's not just his life, but about his death that was so powerful. I'm going to tell you what it is. The Lord showed me this several years ago, and I've never forgotten. I think about this all the time. It crosses my mind in prayer when I tell the Lord, I want to stand for him, live for him. But the Bible said that when they were, that they were gnashing their teeth against him and they were stoning him, and it's a picture that we really can't just paint with words, but you know, blood was running down his face, perhaps broken ribs and facial bones. Just uh, they, they didn't use little old number two stone. They, they stoned them with big, big stones. Sometimes multiple people had to carry them. They would drop them on them. And they said that Stephen opened up his mouth and he said, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. But he refused. He refused. Somebody say he refused. He refused to acquiesce to their desire for him to stop preaching Jesus. And the Bible said that when he looked into the heavens, this is so powerful, that he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of power. But I want you to understand something about this. If you read the book of Hebrews, standing was not the posture of Jesus at this time. For as the high priest, the Bible said in Hebrews, that after he offered once, he sat down. That Jesus 
was seated at the right hand of power. But when Stephen looked into the heavens, he saw him standing at the right hand of power. You know what this means? Jesus stood up for him. Because if you'll stand for Jesus, he'll stand for you.